Good morning. I'm John Hattenberger, pastor of discipleship and one of your elders. It's my pleasure to bring the word today. We're finishing up our study, short study of uh, Jonah, which we call Jonah the Runaway Prophet. So if you've got your Bibles with you, turn to chapter 4 of Jonah. If you can't find Jonah without looking in the index, which is difficult, frankly, it's just one page in my Bible. It's hard to find. My suggestion is go to Matthew chapter 1, go back 40 pages. You'll be roughly there. It's tucked in between uh, Obadiah and Micah. So if you find Micah, go left. If you find Obadiah, go right. I'll give you about 10 minutes to do that while I give you some background. Jonah uh, was a prophet around 770 B.C., so it was a long time ago. What was happening in the history of Israel at that time was the nation of Israel had been split into two. Uh, the northern kingdom, which uh, retained the name Israel, and the southern kingdom, which, retained, which uh, was called Judah. Jonah was a prophet for the northern kingdom. Further north from the northern kingdom was uh, the empire of Assyria. And a little background on Assyria is important for today. You'll see why in just a minute. But the Assyrians uh, were a group of people who were expanding rapidly, uh, conquering a good portion of the Middle East uh, in Jonah's day. And so they were pressing uh, steadily. They were enemies with the Israelites. Uh, they had bad blood there. In fact, uh, two of Israel's prophets, Amos and Hosea, prophesied that sometime in the future, Assyria would actually come into the northern kingdom of Israel, conquer it, and take it into exile. And in fact, that happened about 50 years after Jonah's life. And so there was some bad blood there. The Assyrians were a difficult people. Uh, to call them a brutal uh, and wicked is probably an understatement. Uh, in their battles, they were uh, quite ruthless. They had a reputation for being uh, just downright devastating to those they conquered. Most of the soldiers that they killed, this is what they would do. They would cut their heads off, and they would pile them in huge piles of pyramids in the city, uh, the center of the city where they conquered them. Uh, and sometimes if they got bored of, of piling them up into pyramids, they would hang them from trees like uh, ghoulish uh, Christmas ornaments. Uh, and so that was bad. And so then those that they took captive that were still alive, they would burn them alive or they would skin them alive and then they would hang their skins on the walls of the cities that they had conquered. And so they had a well-deserved reputation for being uh, brutal and violent people. And so uh, with that uh, uh, very enlightening and very cheerful uh, introduction, uh, open your Bibles to uh, Jonah chapter 4. Let me just review where we've come. Uh, in Jonah chapter 1, God calls uh, Jonah as a prophet. He calls him to go to the city of Nineveh. The city of Nineveh, of course, is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And so this is the kind of thing that God had asked Jonah to enter into, is to go to Nineveh, told him to preach to them, and said that in 40 days he was going to destroy the city if they didn't repent. Jonah didn't want to go. Why? Because Jonah hated the Assyrians. They were already a problem. They were brutal people, and Jonah just didn't want to go. Uh, and so he jumped on a ship and went in the other direction entirely. Instead of going north to Nineveh, he went west on a ship in the Mediterranean towards uh, Spain, a place called Tarshish. And so he took off and ran. God then threw a storm at the, at the ship to stop Jonah from running away, and the ship was about to sink. Jonah realized that it was he was the cause of this storm and that if the sailors threw him overboard, the ship could be saved. So he told the sailors to do so, and the sailors reluctantly did so. They chucked Jonah over the side into the ocean. And just as Jonah was about to drown, God sent a very large fish which came along and swallowed Jonah. And then in the belly of, of this fish, Jonah decided to repent. And so he prayed to God from the belly of the fish, 
reluctantly and told God that he would go to Nineveh anyway. And so God said, okay, and he, the fish uh, spit Jonah out onto dry land. And then Jonah traveled to Nineveh and preached. He went there and he preached. Uh, the Bible says he preached one day. I don't know if that's exactly accurate, but that's the way I read it. Uh, but his preaching was wildly successful. He preached and said, Ninevites, uh, repent, turn from your ways, God's going to destroy, or God's going to destroy your city in 40 days. But it was wildly successful. And if you turn back uh, half a chapter in Jonah chapter 3, we'll see just how successful he was. So we're reading now from Jonah chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. It says, And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, quote, By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And then it tells us what happened. It says, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So that was the result of Jonah's preaching. The entire city repented, which means they changed their minds about the false gods that they were worshiping. They changed their minds about their evil ways. They put on sackcloth, which in those days was, was a sign of mourning. So it's this uncomfortable, scratchy garment. They put that on. The king took off his robes and wore it. They even put it on their animals. Uh, they fasted. They prayed to God, and they worshiped him. And so that was a tremendous outcome. And, uh, and not least of all, because God changed his mind and decided not to destroy the city of Nineveh after all. So, how did Jonah react to this? Well, here's what should have happened but didn't happen. Now, I'm reading now from the unauthorized Hattenberger version, the UHV. So, it's not on the screen in front of you. This is total heresy, but just listen along as I read what should have happened. When Jonah saw that his preaching was successful and that the entire city had repented, and that God had relented of the disaster he said he would do to them, Jonah rejoiced. He consulted with the king of Nineveh, and they proclaimed a celebration and a feast that lasted for seven days. The king gathered all the people to the center of the city, and there Jonah offered burnt offerings and sacrifices to the Lord. Under Jonah's direction, the king assembled 2,000 singers and musicians, and they sang praises to the God of heaven. There was a great celebration in the land. Jonah opened the book of the law and taught the people from sunup to sundown. He taught them all about the Lord, a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so for seven full days, the people of Nineveh rejoiced and celebrated and worshipped the Lord God Almighty. And Jonah was highly esteemed among the people. That's not what happened. That's what should have happened. A guy comes to a large city like this, preaches for a day, and the entire city repents and puts their, their, their false gods away. He should have done something different. He should have rejoiced, but he didn't. This is what he did. Jonah acted like a total jerk. He got mad. Now we're turning to Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. 
It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So Jonah got angry. Jonah hadn't wanted to preach to the Assyrians in the first place. That's why he jumped on the ship and took off and went to Tarshish. He didn't want to preach to them because Jonah wanted God to destroy them. Jonah hated the Assyrians. And so he didn't want to preach to them because he knew God's character. He knew that if he preached and they repented, God would relent and he wouldn't destroy them. And Jonah wanted them, God, to destroy them. So exactly what Jonah was afraid of happened. Jonah preached, the people repented, and God relented. The Assyrians were not going to be destroyed, and so Jonah was angry. In fact, Jonah was so angry, he asked God to kill him. Reading now in verse 3. This is Jonah speaking to God. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat at the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Jonah was so angry that God had relented and that he wasn't going to destroy the Assyrians that he asked God to kill him. He said, Lord, just kill me. It's better for me to die. I think Jonah was acting like a jerk. I think God did too because God confronted him about his attitude. He said, Jonah, is this something that you really should be angry about? And Jonah, the jerk that he is, he didn't even answer God. God asked him a question and he doesn't even answer him. Instead, he sticks out his lip, lower lip, and he pouts a little bit. And he runs off in the, outside the city gates and he sets himself up a little booth there. And he puts his lawn chair underneath it and sits in the shade. And he's going to sit there and he's going to watch what happens to the city. Except God had already decided. God had already decided that he wasn't going to punish the Assyrians because they had repented. And so God wasn't going to destroy the city. But Jonah decides to go out and wait anyway. I don't know what he was thinking. Maybe he was thinking, well, God's going to change his mind again. He's going to destroy it. I'll just sit here and wait. Or maybe he thought, well, if I go sit and pout there a little bit, maybe God will change his mind and he'll destroy the Syrians anyway. I don't know what Jonah was thinking. But he certainly wasn't acting in a manner that was consistent with God's attitude. Well, while Jonah was out there waiting, the weather was hot and sunny. And apparently the shelter or the booth that he had built for himself didn't provide as much shade as he was hoping. And so Jonah got hot and uncomfortable. But doggone it, Jonah was going to sit and wait. So God decided to teach Jonah a lesson. So we pick it up in verse 6. It says, Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It's better for me to die than to live. 
So overnight, God grew up this large shady plant and put it over the top of Jonah so that he wouldn't be uncomfortable in the heat and the sun. And the plant was good. It was a good shady plant, provided Jonah with a nice shady spot. And Jonah was exceedingly happy about the plant, it says. Exceedingly happy. He was overjoyed that he had this plant under which he could sit in the shade and stay cool. And then the next day, God appointed a worm who ate the plant, and, di- and the plant died. And so Jana, uh, Jonah lost his cool shade, and the God then sent a scorching east wind to make Jonah uncomfortable. And the sun beat down on Jonah, and the hot air blew, and Jonah got kind of dizzy and weak. And, of course, Jonah's happiness then turned to anger and bitterness. And once again, he asked God to kill him. He says, just kill me. It's better for me to die than to live. So what was Jonah angry about now? Was he angry because he was hot and dizzy? Was he angry because God hadn't destroyed the city of Nineveh yet? Was he angry because he felt that God was punishing him unjustly? No, it wasn't any of those things. Jonah was being a jerk again. Jonah was angry for at God for taking away his beloved shady plant, which sounds ridiculous to say, but I know it's true because it says so in the very next verse. Because God confronted Jonah again about his anger. And so in verse 9 he says, But God said to Jonah, Do you do, you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. God says, Jonah, really? You're angry enough about that plant that you want to die? And Jonah says, yeah, that's right. At least he answered him this time. I'm so angry, I want to die. And so now we see Jonah at his very jerkiest, really. He was angry at God. He was angry that he lost his beloved plant. He really, 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 really loved that plant. And he missed him so much that he just said, God, just take me, kill me. Now you may ask, well, why did God do this? Why did my God make this plant grow up overnight only to send a worm the next day to kill it and then run the scorching east wind by? Well, it's obvious that it was God's direction to do so. It was God's plan the whole time. We see this because we see the word appointed three times in these verses. In verse 6, it says that God appointed a plant. In verse 6. And in verse 7, it says God appointed a worm to kill the plant. And in verse 8, it says God appointed a wind to come by and make him uncomfortable. And so it's very clear. It's easy to see that God is trying to teach him a lesson. He's trying to teach Jonah a lesson about his heart. And now we get to verse 10 and 11, which is the punchline of this whole book of Jonah, where God's going to give him the, 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 the reason why he's done this. And so let's read that. And he says, And the Lord said, verse 10, And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Now, there's a lot of things that are packed into these two verses, and so what I want to do is I want to pull it apart a little bit. Because I, th- I think it's easy for us to miss what he's saying here. First of all, let's deal with this 120,000 thing. God says there are 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, so it means one of two things. It either means that there were 120,000 children under about the age of seven who didn't know their right hand from their left hand. So if that was the case, then there were probably about 600,000 people in the whole city 
including older children, men and women. Or it could mean that he's really referring to 120,000 men and women in Nineveh who are spiritually immature, almost like children. In which case, there would be maybe 300,000 people in the city, counting the men and the women and the children. The point is, is that was a big city. There's 300 to 600,000 people in the city of Nineveh. So what is God saying here? He says, Jonah, you pity the plant. That is, Jonah, you have this tremendous compassion for this plant. You have this tremendous uh, outpouring of sympathetic sorrow. And so you're sorry that it's dead. You miss it. And that's fine. You can be angry. And then God says, but Jonah, what about this plant? You didn't till the soil. You didn't plant the seed. You didn't water the ground. You didn't fertilize it. You didn't pull the weeds. You didn't trim its dead branches. You did nothing. You did nothing for this plant. You didn't expend any money. You didn't spend any energy. You didn't spend any time. You just sat in its cool shade. But now that it's dead, you have this tremendous amount of sympathy and sorrow and compassion comes pouring out of your heart, so much so that you're willing to die. And it doesn't say so here, but you can sort of see God's thinking here. He's saying, okay, that's how you feel about the plant. But Jonah, let me tell you how I feel about the Assyrians. I created the Assyrians. Every single one of them is, a, is, is one of my children. I gave them birth. I provided them milk when they were babies. I provided the sun and the rain for their crops so that their crops would grow and they would have food to eat. I provided for their, their cattle and their sheep and their donkeys so that they would have a meat to eat and that they would have wool to wear and, and, and protect themselves from the heat. I gave them victory in their battles and I protected them. Jonah, I gave these Assyrians their very breath. The very, every single heartbeat of every man, woman, and child in the city of Nineveh is a gift for me. I am a sovereign God. And they are my children. I know every single one of the Assyrians by name. There isn't a hair that falls off the head of the smallest child in Assyria that I don't know about it. And then you get this idea that God is saying, but, but yeah, okay, they're my children, but they... They didn't honor me. They rebelled against me. They went out and they did all these horrible, atrocious things. They, they worshipped other gods. They were not faithful to me. But I didn't give up on them, Jonah. I wanted them to repent and I wanted them to return to me. I wanted them to stop worshipping idols and doing all these atrocious, violent acts. I wanted them to come back. I wanted them to repent. And that's why I sent you, Jonah. And you went and you preached and they repented. And now, now, now that they have repented sincerely in sackcloth and ashes and they put their foreign gods away and they stopped doing these violent things and they're worshiping me, the God of the universe, now, Jonah, you want me to kill them? That's what I think God's thinking. It's just two sentences, but I don't think it's too far off. In verse 11, he says, Jonah, look at your heart. Look at your attitude. You care more about this stupid little plant that grew up in one day and died the next day that you didn't have any involvement in. You just sat in its cool shade, and now you're so compassionate for that thing, you're ready to die. And yet there's a whole city of 300 to 600,000 Assyrians in this city who are my children, and you don't care. You want me to kill them. 
Jonah, you love that plant more than people. Jonah, I care more about the cattle in that city than I do about that stupid plant. Jonah, I care about the souls of every single man, woman, and child in the city of Nineveh, and you should too. And then the story ends abruptly. That's it. Verse 11, it's done. The whole book of Jonah ends on that one verse. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city? So if we back up from that and go up to the 30,000-foot view and take an overlook of the book here of Jonah, what we see is a, a story of contrasts. We see God's character on the one hand, and we see Jonah's attitude on the other hand, and it's a contrast. They're like night and day. We can't hardly not notice that from reading the book. God loves all men and desires them to be saved. Jonah, on the other hand, loves the Israelites, but he hates the Assyrians, and he doesn't want God to save them. God hates wickedness, and he will eventually punish those who are unrepentant. Jonah, on the other hand, hates the Assyrians' wickedness and wants God to punish them right now. And I'm going to sit here in this lawn chair until you do. God will show mercy on repentant sinners. But Jonah doesn't want God to show any mercy to the Assyrians ever. God rejoices. He celebrates. He has a party when wicked sinners repent. Jonah doesn't celebrate at all, even though he was heavily involved in their repentance. God cares about people above all other things that he created. And Jonah cared more for this stupid little plant than he did for 300,000 to 600,000 Assyrians living in the city. Now, I have to confess that it's extremely easy for me to criticize Jonah. In fact, I've called him a jerk this morning three or four times. And it's easy because I think, wow, how could Jonah have such a bad attitude? God wanted him to go to Nineveh to preach the word, and Jonah said, no, I'm not going to have anything to do with that. I'm going to jump on a ship and run away. And even after he preached to them, he wouldn't stick around and celebrate with them and give high fives all around. No, he went up on the hillside and sulked. And he cared more about this goofy little plant than he did about a bunch of Assyrians. But it makes me wonder, today, as Christians, do we have that same attitude? Do we have the same attitude that Jonah has? And some of you say, well, John, that's a very theoretical question. I don't think we can answer that because Assyrians aren't around anymore. We don't, we don't even have them around to hate. Jonah was very very caught up in his problem with the Assyrians. And so, you know, it's hard for us to compare ourselves to Jonah. Jonah hated the Assyrians. We didn't have any Assyrians around. So, I don't know, it's hard for us to compare that. We don't have those kind of wicked, evil terrorists around us to hate. Or do we? So, anybody who's read the newspaper in the last 12 months has seen this organization called ISIS, or IS as they're sometimes called, which stands for the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. We've seen them in the news pretty regularly for a while now. We call them terrorists. They're a ruthless bunch hanging out in the Middle East trying to control as much land as they can and committing brutal and violent wicked acts and cutting people's heads off. 
Well, ISIS today isn't really very different than the Syrians in Jonah's day. Consider this. ISIS is a group of brutal warriors who enjoy beheading people, just like the Assyrians. ISIS has no regard for the one true God, just like the Assyrians. ISIS is opposed to Western society and to Christianity, much as the Assyrians in Jonah's day were opposed to God and the nation of Israel. ISIS is fighting, coincidentally, ISIS is fighting for exactly the same dirt in the Middle East, the very same geography, right on top of it. Plot the Assyrian Empire, put ISIS right on top of it. It's exactly the same spot. And they're trying to build an empire in exactly the same place as the Assyrians were building their empire 2,700 years ago. So, in fact, ISIS is just like the Assyrians. And so... Many of you have seen what's happened with ISIS. You've seen what they've done. Anybody who's seen that video of an American on his knees and standing over him is a man with a black hood and he's holding a saber about this long. And he's prepared to cut this man's head off because he's an American or perhaps he's an English or perhaps he's a Japanese journalist. And he's got five guys with their iPhones there watching and taking videos of it so they can send a strong message to the United States. How do you feel when you see that? How do we react? What's our attitude towards ISIS when we see that? Do we immediately get down on our knees and pray for them to repent? Do we call up one of the local missions organizations and ask them if they need another preacher to go to Iraq or to Syria and preach to these people? Or do we allow our anger just to build up and say, God, would you please come down and just destroy those people from the face of the earth? I've got to admit, that's how I feel. Do I wish them dead? Yeah, when I see images like that, I think I do. Do we wish that God would punish them and wipe them off the face of the earth? Yeah, I think that's how I feel. And then, you know, studying this this week, I'm reminded that that's exactly how Jonah felt about the Assyrians. Isn't any different? Ask yourself this question. How does God look at ISIS today? Do you think God's attitude about ISIS today is any different than his attitude about the Assyrians 2,700 years ago? So let's forget ISIS for a minute. They're kind of distasteful. What about violent serial murderers? What about abortion doctors? What about rapists? What about that kid who took guns into that community college in Oregon about a month ago and singled out the Christians in the class and shot them in the head? What's their attitude about people like that? Do we want God's justice to rain down immediately upon these people and wipe them off the face of the earth? Are we unwilling to pray for them? Or if we do pray, is our prayer, God, please destroy them? Would we be willing to preach to them? Would we rejoice if one of them trusted in Jesus and got saved? Or would we be like Jonah and sulk because we felt that justice had not been done? I don't know. Uh, Maybe I'm unique. Maybe I'm the only one here in this auditorium this morning who 
has difficulty having that kind of attitude, the attitude that says, yeah, I should be compassionate towards those people, that God loves all those people, that God would love to see them saved, that God would want them to repent, and he want me to pray about that. But then, if I have that attitude about ISIS, and I have that attitude about abortionists, and, and guys who shoot people in the heads of colleges, where, where do I stop having that attitude? Do I, do I carry that attitude home with me when I go, go home and my next-door neighbor or maybe across the street, he has an affair and he leaves his wife and children? What's my attitude towards him? Or maybe my neighbor scoffs at me when I t- try to talk to him about Jesus. I say, well, that's, that's just a bunch of bunk. I, I'm not going to go to your church at all. I, in fact, I think you're kind of stupid for doing so. Do I have that same kind of attitude about him? Because you get in the slippery slope and you, you, you don't know where to stop. You know I mean, where, where do you stop hating those people and wishing God would take them off the face of the earth? And where do you start loving them? Where, where, what point do you do that? You know, I don't know. I, I had to deal with that this week, and I'm not sure how to explain it. But I know that's my attitude's wrong. Maybe somebody else in here has the same idea. So this book of Jonah, it ends rather abruptly uh, with God asking Jonah a question. And... We don't get to see anything more beyond that. In other words, we don't get to see Jonah's answer to the question, even though it's a rhetorical one. But obviously, the writer of Jonah did that purposefully. He did that on, on purpose. It was intentional. It was to make a point. It was to leave, leave God's question hanging in the air so that everyone who read the book of Jonah would get to that point, and that question would hang in the air, and then we'd have to say, well, yeah, good question. What do I think about that? And so rather than turn the page over on Jonah and start in the book of Obadiah, we should stop there and ask ourselves, the question that God leaves hanging in the air, and shouldn't God grant mercy and grace to wicked people when they repent? That's the question. Shouldn't God take pity on repentant sinners? Shouldn't God grant mercy and grace to wicked sinners who repent? And the answer to the question is yes, of course he should. Why? Because God said that he would. In Ezekiel chapter 18, God says so very clearly. If we had any question about that, this should answer it. Ezekiel eighteen twenty one to 23 says, But if a wicked person turns away from all his sins, that he is committed and keeps all my statutes and does what is just and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the transgressions that he has committed shall be remembered against him. For the righteousness that he has done, he shall live. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? Jonah, the runaway jerk, had an attitude, but it wasn't God's attitude. It was totally contrary to God's attitude. Jonah didn't want God to show mercy and grace to the Assyrians, even though they repented because he hated them. And if I were to examine myself, I think my attitude isn't very far off from Jonah's. You know, I have a bad attitude about unsaved people. I have a bad attitude about people who oppose the gospel. I have a bad attitude about people whose sins are wicked and evil and violent and brutal. And maybe I'm not the only one in here who feels that way. I found that I'm a lot more like Jonah, the runaway jerk, than I would care to admit. So some of you will know that I got saved uh, as an adult 
I came to faith and trust in Jesus when I was uh, 26 years old. Uh, it's not so long ago that I can't remember, but I was a fair sinner. I didn't have my act together. I swore badly. I uh, didn't have any interest in God or Jesus. I, even after I, some folks would front down the street would witness to me, I got angry about that. I was, I was pretty opposed to that. I was a pretty big sinner. I had my whole bag of sins along with me. But I never took one of those shoulder-mounted rocket-firing things. You've seen them on the TV. Go boom. I've never fired one of those into a crowd of innocent people. I never took my saber sword and cut someone's head off. I never aborted a baby. I never raped a three-year-old child. But I deserve God's wrath as much as the people who do those things. See, it isn't that my sins are better than theirs. They're just different. And when I look at Jonah, I think, you know, Jonah and me were a couple of, couple of hypocrites, really. Jonah... In the middle of his sin, right, he ran away from God. God said, go to Nineveh. Jonah said, no, I'm not doing that. Right in the middle of that, he says, I am not going to do that. He's in the water, sinking to the bottom of the sea. And God, in his grace and mercy, sends a fish to save Jonah from drowning. And two days later, Jonah is unwilling that God's grace and mercy should be extended to 600,000 Assyrians who repented. That's hypocrisy. And I'm a hypocrite too, because when I was 26 years old, God extended to me grace and mercy and saved me, and I am forever saved. And yet, here I am. I'm unwilling that God sometimes would extend His grace and mercy to people who do violent and cruel things. People like rapists and college shooters and abortionists and terrorists. So I think we all need to be reminded that we all fall sin. Uh, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. Especially me. And we need to remember that if God desires that the most wicked sinners would repent, if God desires that, we should desire that too. And that if God extends grace and mercy to the most wicked sinner who repents, then I should pray for their repentance and not pray that God would strike them dead and wipe them off the face of the earth. And if God rejoices and celebrates when a sinner repents, I should celebrate that too. But sometimes I don't. And I think I learned a lesson this week studying the book of Jonah. I used to think this book was about a guy who, who ran away and wanted God to kill him because he was afraid that somebody else would kill him. You see, because a false prophet, if he predicts something and it doesn't come true, he's a false prophet and therefore someone should kill him. And I always thought the book of Jonah was about that, that that's why Jonah wanted people, uh, God to kill him because he was afraid somebody else was going to kill him. It doesn't say that anywhere in here. 
I don't know why I read that in. The whole thing got turned up on its head. This whole book is about God's attitude about re- repentant sinners and his love for all people, and it hit me to the heart. And I don't know, maybe it will you too, I don't know. All I know is that, that I need to pray. I need to pray for our attitude, that it would be aligned with God's attitude. And I'll just ask you to pray with me now. Lord God, we're thankful to you that you are a forgiving God, and I pray, Lord God, that you forgive me. But my attitude is often the same as Jonah. Jonah hated the evil Assyrians so much that he ran away when he told them to preach. He failed to rejoice even when his preaching was successful, and he cared more for that stupid little plant than he did for a whole city full of people. Lord, help me to remember that my sins are no better than the sins committed by ISIS terrorists or abortionists or college shooters or rapists. Lord God, we all sin and fall short of your glory. Lord, you desire for all of us, no matter how wicked a sinner we are, to repent and be saved. Lord, help me not to be a jerk. Help me and help all of us to have your attitude. Help us to be ready to pray. Help us to preach. Help us to realize that you love all people and desire all men, women, and children, no matter how wicked they are, to repent and turn to you and be saved. Lord God, help me to remember that Jesus' death on the cross paid the price for all sins, not just for my sins, but for the really abhorrent, wicked, horrible, violent, brutal sins of all men. Lord, give us the power to have your attitude, not Jonah's. Lord God, help us, Lord, to carry out your great commission to glorify Christ by making mature disciples to reach the nations. All nations, all people, all sinners. Lord God, we pray this in the powerful and precious name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.